bills make me wanna shout. Kick your heels up and shout. Welcome your back, everybody, to another exciting episode of Bills and Beers, the Buffalo Bills preview podcast here from the Bills backers of Chicago, Illinois. I'm Lars. Joining me tonight, back after a two-week hiatus, it's Billy the Kid Nichols here. What's happening, guys? And joining me again tonight, the uh, president of the Chicago Bills backers, Sue Jeet, is with us. I don't know what y'all think and put a brown man on the radio. <laughs> well, we are coming off a heartbreaking overtime loss that we're actually having a difficult time piecing back together since expectations were so low. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about the third division game of the year coming up in Miami this Sunday. BillsandBeers.com is the website. That'll take you right to our Facebook page. Best way to communicate with us. Subscribe on iTunes and tell all your friends. Go Bills. So I was in the Northwoods of Wisconsin for, and for those of you who uh, do not know where that is, that's way up north in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, I was surrounded by trees and therefore had no wireless connection for Wi-Fi. I was receiving text messages about two hours late. So unfortunately, I did not see, this is the first game I think I've missed in as long as I can remember. That's love, Bill. This is the first game that I can uh, remember missing in a very, very long time. So uh, you guys are going to have to fill me in, and I think is it's a good start to our podcast this week. And uh, let me know, and my question for you guys is, what was the single most um, crushing – what was it, what, what would you identify as the single uh, – biggest problem of that game as to why we lost i'm gonna go out and say it you can call me a homer all you want but i'm just gonna go right out and say it officiating it cost us a touchdown put them in field goal range several times that unsportsmanlike conduct call on kyle williams was total horse crap the missed pass interference call on marquise goodwin was even worse um i don't know what's going on but some of the calls that we are getting and that we aren't getting are really starting to cost this team Obviously, it comes down to more things than the officiating, but that pass interference call alone, this game would have been completely different. Yeah, I have to agree. I think that the officiating was just horrible. It almost seemed like Ed Hockley's had a, an agenda against our team. It just seems like he was the Johnny on the spot, the first person to say, oh, you know, the Bills did this thing wrong when, you know, similar plays throughout the game went uncalled. Um, but, you know, like you were alluding to, there's lots of things that make officiating irrelevant and good play is one of those things and I feel like our defense just uh kind of fell apart this game um yeah they started to pick it up towards the fourth quarter but that's it was a little bit too little too late um you know who 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 was having what particular part of our defense was really struggling it was the backside we were just way too aggressive on things and they were they came in with a game plan to exploit that and I'll tell you this a practice squad player, a guy who spent three days in a uniform, would have been more effective than a one-armed Stephon Gilmore. I understand that he's a very important part of this defense, but so long as he has that giant club on his hand and can't do anything with half of his upper body, he's really not that effective to the extent that he was practically a liability on Sunday. Yeah, you know, I think what it affects is obviously his ability to tackle and his ability to uh, play aggressive at the line, which is one of the things that was such an attractive factor about him coming out of college. Um, yeah, and I mean, I think that the the screenplays were were 
you know, um, hugely um, demonstrated the the what was lacking in that situation. Now they also, you know, it wasn't just the screens. They also had, you know, the end arounds. Um, it, basically, it was it was predicated on over pursuit, uh, which you know we've been trying to be that defense that swarms to the ball um, and has a million guys at the spot, but you know you always have to hold your position and hold your ends with. Um, I believe it was one of the screens where Jerry Hughes just kind of was, it was his responsibility to hold that left side. And when he didn't, you know, the, 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 the reverse went for what, 20, 30 yards. Now, likewise, we lost Manny Lawson for some of that game. And I was talking trash a little bit on a Dolphins message board today. Uh, and one of the things I told them, and I think most Bills fans have cued into this by now, Manny Lawson has quietly become the most valuable player on our defense. I understand that he hasn't gotten a lot of stats. I understand that he hasn't been as flashy as other players, particularly Kiko Alonso. But on plays where we, where we needed the edge set, as they say, which is something we haven't seen in Buffalo in him at least not in this millennium, um, he has been right there doing that for us. And I, I, I think we may have felt it when he went out. But absolutely, they had plays designed to exploit uh, Gilmore's weakness. I will say, however, the officiating was was pretty piss poor. But if you want to talk about the most deflating moment of the entire game, mm-hmm. and this was the, the lousy punt coverage in overtime notwithstanding, because that was just one of those ones where it was like you kind of felt it unless we broke a big play, we weren't going to win that game. And so that punt return kind of just just hastened the inevitable, I guess you could say. But the play that was by far the most deflating play of the afternoon ultimately didn't cost us anything because they biffed the field goal afterwards. But the 4th and 16 that they converted right up the gut uh, to a tight end that nobody had ever heard of before who caught it with one hand over his shoulder, that was just kicking the gut. Buffalo Bills football to a T, and we've seen that a lot from this defense this year. They're doing great on first and second down. They're doing great um, limiting carriers, mostly to one, two, and three-yard gains. Uh, but then on third and long, for whatever reason, they can't get off the field. And that play exemplified that to the max. I, I you know, I think that's true. Um, but, you know, you brought up the punt coverage. You know, this was a problem in Cleveland. This is the reason why we lost the Cleveland game. So if you're going to be practicing anything on special teams. What do we need to practice? We don't need to practice long field goals because Carpenter's been doing great with that. We don't need to practice kickoff coverage because I'm pretty sure that if you just put Marcus Easley on the field, he's going to go down there and lose his mind and tackle somebody at the 15-yard line. Um, But the thing that we've been lacking in and that was highlighted to our special teams coordinator was punt coverage. Um, You know, punt coverage is not rocket science you know i mean the the scheme that's used around the league there's not a lot of different schemes in terms of punt coverage it's reestablishing lines when you come off uh, reestablishing lanes when you come off the line after um you know after the ball is snapped um and it's maintaining uh it's it's maintaining coverage across the field uh but for some reason two games in a row um wherever our leading edge of coverage was all that our opponents had to do was run away from that leading edge, and there was a beautiful crease that was that was opened up. It was not even like you know one of our returns, uh, one of the returns against us on punt was right up the middle. One was right up the sideline. It was always the exact same play. It was always up the sideline along the the opposite side of our leading edge of coverage. So it just makes you wonder what are we doing on special teams? 
Well, now that in mind, Suge, uh, we got to get into the Labatt Blue MVP of the week. Uh, but since it was a loss, let's start with the Genesee Cream Ale Bummer of the Week. Who gets yours for this past Sunday's game against the Cincinnati Bengals? Uh, it's a tough one. Um, you know, I'm going to have to go with uh, Chris Hogan. And, you know, I think that he's gotten a lot of opportunities. Um, you know, everybody's calling for Marcus Easley, and God only knows what it is that's keeping him off the field, um, whether it's uh, poor route running, um, poor understanding of the playbook, some for some reason, on multiple regimes now, he has not been able to get on the field. But, uh, you know, given the opportunity, Chris Hogan has the opportunity to potentially win the game with that third yard, third down conversion, um, and he drops it. Now, the second time he had the opportunity to do that was a bad pass by um, by Thanks. Lewis, by, by, by Rad Thad. Uh, but, you know, he's just not panning out. And I also have to question the coaching that goes to Chris Hogan as opposed to Chris Chandler, who, as far as I know, was not injured. Um, oh, yeah, sorry, Scott Chandler. <laughs> See, he's, he's playing so little, I don't even know his first name anymore. But um, I have to question the coaching that says go to your backup tight end that hasn't been doing all that much on a crucial third down conversion. Well, you know, we've already kind of um, beat this horse to death, but I'll say that my Genesee Cream Ale Bummer of the Week has got to go to our special teams coordinator, Crossman. Mm. Uh, I mean, two weeks in a row now, uh, punt coverage has been a liability, and one could argue it has cost us two games. Um, but moving right along, oh, Bill, you wanted to weigh in on the game you didn't watch? Yeah, my Genesee Cream Ale Bummer of the Game uh, definitely goes to the uh, wireless router that was <laughs> was unable to get me any access to the game, um, which I was definitely counting on uh, and asked about specifically prior to the game, but what have you. So with that in mind, Bill, I got to imagine that your uh, Labatt Blue MVP of the week must have been uh, Carrie's homemade pretzels, of which she left here a couple weeks ago after we had a barbecue. I did not know this until Jackie brought it to my attention last weekend, and I said, wow, these things have been in here for weeks. Had I known they would have been in here, they would have been gone in days, and lo and behold, they were gone by Monday. And were they still fresh? Of course they were. Anyways, moving on. The Labatt Blue MVP of the week, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give mine to TJ Graham. I think he's gotten the bummer of the week a couple times, but in the absence of Stevie Johnson, he'd actually played some pretty good ball. Uh, he caught the long pass from Thad Lewis, which again kind of indicates that all along the passes he wasn't bringing in were due in large part to EJ Manuel's throws. And in a similar vein, nipping at his heels for a very similar reason is got to be Marquise Goodwin. He got one, would have had two if it wasn't for the officiating. And, you know, when he was four steps past his man and catching the ball five yards deep into the end zone, I mean, we all remember the Steelers game from 2010 and watching Stevie drop that pass. Rookie, first long ball ever thrown to him, brought it in like he's done it his whole life, looked great out there, and did exactly what he was brought to Buffalo to do, burn his man and catch the ball in the end zone. Um, I would have to say that my Labatt Blue player of the game uh, definitely goes to Thad Lewis. Uh, okay. You know, with a guy that is coming off the, the, the practice squad, um, and I don't think that's as important because he knows it's not like he doesn't know the playbook or his, um, teammates. You know, or his teammates. In fact, that might be part of the reason why he does a good job of throwing to our second and third right. uh, string receivers because he probably has more chemistry with them playing on the scout team. Uh, but that being said, you know, nobody expected anything from this kid. 
And all he did was rush for a touchdown and throw for two. Yeah, he had one mistake uh, trying to make a play, fumbled the ball, and he's going to learn from that. But uh, I think that he outdid his performance, his last performance, uh, for sure. Um, you know, so I think there's a lot of progress. And I think that maybe that is what we need, someone who has a little bit more touch on their long passes. And I think EJ will get there, but, uh, you know, he hasn't been there so far, and, and Thad sure does. You know, and we'll close with this. Uh, Suge, last week we said, you know, in thinking again about who our bummer of the week could be, we said if the offense could score two touchdowns, we win that game because we were kind of banking on our defense scoring us points, generating turnovers, putting us in a position to win. And, of course, they did the exact opposite. So our offense actually hung tough in this one in spite of the defense, which was the exact opposite of what we expected. Well, it was a heart-wrenching overtime loss. Uh, we got to move on from it, and we got a division game coming up on the road against the Miami Dolphins team that uh, they're, no, they're no slouches out there. So uh, we'll get into that now and uh, talk about what we have to look forward to. I used to be a famous artist and proud as I could be. Our boys headed to South Beach this weekend for a division matchup, the third one of the year, the first one of the year for the Miami Dolphins. They're coming off a bye week. They're playing at home. Suge, what do you think is going to be the keys to victory, and what do we got to watch out for against this Miami Dolphins team? I think, uh, you know, this is a team that's averaging, uh, allowing 105 yards rushing uh, per game, um, and that's against teams that are not doing all that great of a job with rushing. Um, that's against Cleveland, uh, that's against uh, Indianapolis. Uh, they lost to the Saints, um, and they lost to Baltimore. Um, so it really makes you, makes you wonder, you know, if we can get that run game started, um, that do we take the ball out of Ryan Tannehill's hands? Um, and then I think one other key to the game here is that, um, you know, there's, like you were saying, on some Miami message boards, they're worried about their offensive line. And if you look at Ryan Tannehill, yeah, he's put up a lot of numbers. He put put up a lot of yardage. His average is somewhere in the mid to upper 200s uh, in yards passing per game. But he has six touchdowns and five interceptions. Now, against well, at least what previously has been a very interception-happy defense in, in, in our team, uh, you know, I think that there's a lot of potential there to take him off the field and allow us to grind away with the running game. Uh, I agree, Bill. We're going to come over to you for in a second here. I think from a number standpoint, the matchup does favor us. Uh, we get more sacks than they do. Tannehill uh, takes a lot of sacks. They have a relatively weak offensive line. They have a relatively weak rushing attack. And while our team has given up a ton of rushing yards, they've also given up the second most rushing attempts. I say second most. There's two teams who have given up more, but they've given up the same amount of rushing attempts at 192. We're at 189. One stat I'd like to throw at you, though, in those 189 carries, we've only given up two rushing touchdowns, which essentially means, and I would say, Suge, you know more about this than I do as a scientist, that's a pretty statistically relevant thing. That means teams have to rush the ball almost 100 times to score a touchdown on the ground against us. Now, part of that's because we've given up a lot of touchdowns that are long passes, but either way, I think that our rush defense fares favorably against theirs, and I think our pass rush fares favorably against theirs. I think it's going to be a matter of whether or not our offense can keep the ball going. And we're one of two offenses in the NFL right now that scored 20 or more points a game. How do you like that? I love that. Uh, what I don't love is the fact that I cannot argue that strongly about like any part of this game. I mean, 
we could literally sit around for we can cover everything in 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 five minutes, and that is like we have no idea what to expect. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, okay, fine. With two two rushing touchdowns, we've only allowed like sweet. They'll have three, right? Like this game, um, you know, we've been expecting, uh, or we were horrible against the screen. We'll probably stop that and just let you know we'll solve that problem. And then all of a sudden they'll be completing bombs against us. Um, and you know, Thad Lewis, who we were uh, you know really excited about. The fact that he was able to at least manage the game and limit uh, his mistakes will throw uh, two turnovers. Uh, will throw two interceptions, one for pick six, um, and the other will be the game changer. You know what I'm saying? Like this, this dude. Well, I think that um, Bills definitely takes the cake for being the most optimistic of all of us. Um, With Cassie not here. Yeah, that's true. You got you to make up for it. But, you know, I'm just looking at some of these numbers. They put up the exact same number of points as us per game. Uh, their third down conversion percentage is better. Uh, our time of possession is essentially the exact same. Uh, but the thing that really stands out, the things that they really suck at and we are really good at is rushing the ball. Uh, they're 29th in the league against rushing, and I think we're still somewhere around third in the league yeah. um, uh, in, in rushing well, we the ball. We rush the ball a ton. How well, what were our rushing yards last week? Would you say they were moving the ball by rushing? Yeah. They were, and you know, the thing that actually irritated me um, during that game is that even before the game was out of hand, uh, we kind of abandoned the run a little bit. Now, granted, I think a large part of that is that both Stevie, or sorry, both CJ and Fred seem to be a little bit hobbled. Um, but, hold you on, know, hold they. On, hold on. Let me, let, me, let me add something to that. Yeah. CJ Spiller and Fred Jackson have not been at full strength. But how good has Tashard Choice looked? That guy has looked money up the seam. He's had multiple 10, 13, 15-yard runs. I mean, I feel like the guy never hands, never, has never handed the ball in runs for less than five yards. Yeah, you know, he doesn't – He um, it, it's almost like we have this spectrum of CJ's this dancing back that, you know, will break a huge one. Uh, but when you expect him to run up the middle, he'll dance around and maybe take a loss. Uh, Fred Jackson always seems to find a crease, doesn't – always find the you know the huge run the way that uh, CJ does when he when he's able to um, and then to shard choice you know he's not going to break out a big one but he will always just stick his head down almost like a fullback and get the yardage that he needs um, or at least get positive yardage all the time uh, you know it almost almost makes you wonder should we be using to shard choice more on first downs uh, you know when when people are expecting run when we have more people in the box um, or in an obvious run situation, should we be using him just so that second down isn't second and 11 or second and 10, but second down is second and seven, uh, where it kind of opens up the playbook a little bit more. Now, related to that, the team's got to get better on third down. Uh, offense has got to be, um, and, and defense, you're right. Uh, but I, I've, I get the feeling now when our, when our team has the ball and it's third down, I have this feeling of dread that the, the drive is over, and it almost seems like a surprise when we convert on third down. Now, I say that. We were actually really good for most of the game against Cincinnati on third down. We were like six for seven, but I think we ended up finishing the game right around 50% on third down. But, yeah, we got to get better on both sides of the ball. The thing that worries me about this Miami game is they're coming off a bye week, and they're the home team, and this is their first division game. There's just a lot going in their favor that – our team, granted, with the exception of EJ Manuel, hasn't suffered too many bad injuries thus far. But I just feel like we're overmatched and the intangibles heading into 
Sunday's game. Okay, that's enough. Um, predictions coming up now, and uh, Bill's favorite portion of the show, the wild card portion, is coming up. Well, we're coming up to the end of the episode, which can only mean one thing. It's the wild card portion of today's episode. It's the wild card. Uh, now, I just want to do a quick side by side because last week uh, Sujit did uh, filled in for that for that little gem, and I gotta say, Bill, he kind of put you to shame. So let's try that again. It's the wild card portion of the show. It's the wild card. I mean. That's I, I know we've been making a lot of brown jokes today, but that but there was <laughs> there's a lot of soul behind that. Speaking of soul, speaking of brown, it's the wild card. Yep, uh, still goes to Sujit. Uh, speaking of brown, speaking of soul, it is the harvest season um, uh, here in the Midwest, uh, throughout the Buffalo area. Um, yeah, yes, yeah, we got you got to avoid that in this in this wild card portion. So uh, as as the as the uh, farmers prepare to reap their crops, you got to wonder if they're uh, bringing in extra staff uh, for the season seasonal employers. Uh, so if that was the case, if you were running a farm, uh, if old Sujit had a farm, who would he pick from this Buffalo Bills roster to be his trusty farm hand? So I think that uh, owning a farm is not just about tilling the fields; it's it's about management too. Um, I don't feel like anyone is going to herd the sheep, is going to bring the people together the way that Leotis McKelvin will. (laughs) (laughs) All I've been talking about, I didn't know who I was going to pick, but I've just been wanting to say Leotis McKelvin. Um, any one of you that watches Key and Peel know that they, it's one of his, their, he is one of their favorite players because he, um, they, you know, they, Oh, yeah. So they have an entire segment on ridiculous uh, football players' names. And they highlight that with DeBrickashaw Ferguson. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, just, just as, a, as an aside, because this is OT, so I'm going OT on the OT. Oh, OT means uh, off topic, uh, not overtime. Um, but since, you know, I'm going off topic uh, again, because I still haven't thought of a good farm hand. Uh, but... <laughs> They they do mention that DeBrickashaw Ferguson, when his mother was asked what name, where did they come up with that name, she said it was a family name. Uh-huh. And uh, we said, ain't no family name. We're talking about DeBrickashaw, not Ferguson. So anyways, uh, not to steal all their material, but they did like Leotis McKelvin because they thought he had a name that was generated in Middle Earth. So um, anyways, Leotis McKelvin, he, you know, Draws in receivers. He's gonna uh, herd, herd the herd the sheep. He's gonna herd the, the the livestock, and he's gonna keep it all down. And uh, lest we forget, when it comes to herding sheep, Leotis McKelvin is a very strong Scottish name. Bill, coming to you next. Well, here's what I'm struggling with right now because I was going to, I was just about to name, start naming one player and then switch to another player, in typical Lars Weeborg fashion. However, that would be uh, hypocritical of me because I always make fun of you for doing that. So I'm going to go ahead and choose one player. And I'm sure, by the way, this week, just to spite me, then you'll pick two. Um, I have three in mind. Yeah, yeah, So you'll pick three. Uh, but my player, my, my selection uh, for my farmhand uh, is going to be Freddie Jackson. Oh. And that's because Freddie will do 
whatever. What it takes. You know? And you know what? Yeah, you say whatever, whatever I ask, and that's true, but he's also someone that can lead. So, like, you know, that, like, I don't mind leaving the farm to him for a few days while I go off gallivanting with, you know, my beautiful wife. I mean, you're sure as hell not going to leave it to Leotis. I'm not going to leave it to Leotis. No chance. No chance. The guy was a, he's the fucking court jester, if anything. Or we're talking about farms. Do farms have jesters? No. Farms no. should have jesters. They How do they? Do farms have any sort of like entertainment? Roosters. Scarecrows. Really? Rodeo clowns. I'm going to look this up, and I bet you that there is something that a farm has that like, keeps people entertained, like some sort of actual human. That, Anyhow. That does like jokes and whatnot. <laughs> Clearly not my jokes. Um, however, uh, point being, Freddie Jackson would do whatever it takes in order to uh, get the farm in, in good shape, keep the crops going, and um, that's all I got. So it should be it should be mentioned that uh, Sujit, while brown, is a very lighter shade of brown. And with that in mind, <laughs> you two are horrible racists. You can't <laughs> you can't you can't have an average. You know, no, no non-African American can say I'm going to have that African American work on my farm. <laughs> Did you guys not pay attention in history class? Did have you never heard of reparations or the Lars, Emancipation Proclamation? Lars, only you would think about that. It's so far from our. Well, minds anyhow, we're so progressive. Well, uh, I would not go with Freddie Jackson because yes, he is a hard worker, but he'd make me feel guilty about not working hard. I feel like he would work hard, but with like kind of like a chip on his shoulder. Sort of like the uh, janitor uh, or the guy who took care of the field in Rudy. I know, also a black guy, not racist. Uh, <laughs> likewise, uh, I wouldn't trust Leotis McKelvin uh, with the keys to my go-kart, let alone the keys to my $300,000 combine. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and pick the obvious choice, which is Justin Leonard. Because uh, I feel like Justin Leonard would be waiting on my front porch, because all farms have front porches, like the large, wooden, Victorian porch. He'd be standing there waiting for me every day at sunrise. He'd call me boss. You know, he'd laugh at all my jokes. He'd work hard. He'd work efficiently. He'd be right there in my shadow. He'd want to learn. He'd be a real go-getter. And quite frankly, he'd be a guy I'd be comfortable taking having... <laughs> He'd be a guy that I'd feel comfortable taking my daughter out to the hoedown. Um, uh, you, <laughs> speaking, I, I know that kind of, I know that kind of brings the whole racial, the whole racial thing, uh, full circle here. Don't read into that. Uh, so this has been a, uh, a wildly controversial uh, wild card. <laughs> so we're going to move right on to predictions now. Wait, hold on. Big game. Oh. I think I would like to interrupt that fact by that. Yes, I may be brown, not black. Uh, but I have been officially anointed by several of my black people as a, a black, several of my black friends as having at least two to three black women living inside of me. I have their names if you'd like to know about them. But uh, <laughs> I've been living inside black women. Does that count? <laughs> oh my god! So I think that it's important to note that I have read Roots cover to cover, all a thousand two hundred patients. So hey, listen, that gets me a little bit of credit. I've also read all of Native Son. So, we, so we're moving on now to predictions uh, for this week's game. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> So now that we're, I'm just going to go ahead and rope this right back on the course. Uh, three and two Miami Dolphins at home coming off a bye week against the two and four Buffalo Bills already 0 and two in the division. Suge, what do you see the final score of this game being? There's got to be a breakout game. 31-20 Bills. Bills are going to lose this game 16 to 28. 
Uh, I'm uh, I'm uh, one and I'm uh, yeah. The last time I picked the Bills to lose, they lost. Uh, I'm gonna pick the Bills to lose again today. Um, I'm I'm thinking like twenty four ten. I think that uh, Thad Lewis has come come back down to earth a little bit. If we can't get that rushing game going. It's going to be ugly. This episode has been ugly. Uh, it's not absolutely indicative of what we usually do here on Bills and Beers, but we're glad you tuned in anyways. Tell all your friends. Tune in on Sunday, BillsandBeers.com. Best way to reach us. Subscribe on iTunes, and we'll see you next week. Go Bills. Let's go, Buffalo. Let's go, Buffalo. Let's go, Buffalo. The Bills make me want to shout.